podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network that allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to LibertyShield.com, use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks. Today is Thursday, the 21st of April, and Manchester United have announced a new manager, Eric Ten Hag, will become the men's first team manager, subject to work visa requirements from the end of this season until June of 2025, with the option to extend for a further year. John Murtaugh, football director, said, During the past four years at Ajax, Eric has proved himself to be one of the most exciting and successful coaches in Europe, renowned for his team's attractive attacking football and commitment to youth. In our conversations with Eric leading up to this appointment, we were deeply impressed with his long-term vision for returning Manchester United to the level we want to competing at and his drive and determination to achieve that. We wish Eric all the best of luck as he focuses on achieving a successful end to the season at Ajax and look forward to welcoming him to Manchester United this summer. So, it is done. They have made their decision. Uh, Ten Hag still has work to do at Ajax, obviously. They're five games from the end of the Eredivisie season. They are four points clear of PSV. You would expect them to win the title. They have NEC away, PEC at home, Alkmaar away, Heronveen at home, and Vietas Arnhem away. That is as um, friendly a schedule as you can probably get in the Eredivisie, whereas PSV also play PEC and NEC. They're the last two games. They play Willem Tway, Cambour, and Feyenoord, which will be a tough game but they did claim the Dutch Cup at the weekend, beating Ten Hag's Ajax side two goals to one. Eric Ten Hag has an enormous job in front of him. An enormous job. This is one of the biggest clubs in the world. This is a club where they are, if not at rock bottom, they're damn close to it. It's a club where he's going to have a multitude of players who are far higher profile than him, on far more money than him. He's going to have to deal with big egos. He's going to have to deal with bruised egos. He's going to have to deal with 
big question marks over the futures of a number of players, including Harry Maguire, who's his club captain. Now, Maguire is 29 years of age, has, I believe, three years left on his deal and an option for a fourth year. And if Ten Hag wants to be successful, he can't have Harry Maguire on the pitch. He just can't have him there. Because Ten Hag is going to want to play a high line. You can't do that with Harry Maguire. There's already rumours that he's looking at Pau Torres and Jurian Timber to come in. What will that mean for Maguire? Because there's no real way to sell him. I'm sure if you put him on the market for 30, 35 million, which is about what he's worth now, you would get a number of teams that would be happy to sign him. I think West Ham would take him. Uh, I think Leicester, if Rodgers remains, would take him. None of the other big six would want him. Everton would love him. He just fit in like a glove, fit like a glove at Everton. Imagine him and Michael Keane. Imagine the depth of the defensive line with Michael Keane and Harry Maguire as your centre backs. But the problem is, none of them can afford to match the wages that he's currently on. Now, Newcastle could be a club that might look at him and think he's he's someone we'll take. He's an England regular. He's a big name. And we'll happily pay the wages. But aside from them, I don't know where else he could go, which means that he, you're stuck with him, the deposed former captain, who's now no longer even in the team. And that's like, that's just going to be problematic. You're going to have the Cristiano question. Is he going to stay? If so, how does he fit in a Ten Hag team? Ten Hag demands an immense amount of off-ball work from his players. Cristiano doesn't press at all, doesn't make any runs that aren't to benefit himself, and his link-up play and hold-up play are both largely dreadful. So where does he fit? I would imagine Donny van der Beek will play a part in the team next year. The problem is that can you put Donny and Bruno into the same team? Maybe if you play a diamond, but if you play a diamond, where are you playing Sancho? So that's another question. He, he's going to inherit this Mason Greenwood situation. So who knows how that plays out? It's all gone very, very quiet on the Greenwood front. He inherits Marcus Rashford, a player completely shown of confidence, a player who's very much stagnated in his development, earns massive money. He inherits Anthony Martial, who clearly wants out of United, could be a useful player to keep around because there's no doubting his talent. But his confidence is in the toilet. You get Rafa Varane past his best, but still probably your best centre-back, but he's injury-prone. Eric Bailly might be your second best centre-back, and he's always hurt. You get the Wan-Bissaka question, what do you do with him? He can't play in a Ten Hag team. 
Not unless Ten Hag goes to a back three and plays him as one of the flanking centre-backs. But that's not an ideal situation either. So you've got a 50 million right back who can't be on the pitch because he's not good enough on the ball. So what do you do with him? Now, the one benefit Ten Hag has is that he didn't sign these players. So they're not his mistakes. And if United are willing to experience what would be quite a bit of financial pain on some of these transactions by selling some of these players at you know a price below what they paid, then perhaps they can find a way to make that work. But you know, go through the Manchester United squad and who actually suits Eric Ten Hag's style of football. David De Gea does not. Victor Lindelof, maybe, but not as a starter. He's not good enough to be a starter. Baye would, but he's always hurt. Phil Jones doesn't. Harry Maguire doesn't. Pogba will be off. Cristiano doesn't. My assumption is Juan Mata leaves as well. I've mentioned Rashford and Greenwood. Who knows what happens with either of those? Uh, Jesse Lingard is leaving. Fred does lack some technical bits and pieces to his game, but he will put in the graft and he can be good in your midfield for balance. I think Bruno might actually enjoy playing under Ten Hag because he won't have to do everything by himself. Varane will fit, but he's always hurt. Delo potentially could fit, but is he good enough? I wouldn't say he is. I'd say he's at best a backup fullback on a, on a really good team. Uh, Cavani, I assume, leaves. Tom Heaton doesn't suit the style of play either, but he's the third-choice keeper, so who cares? Luke Shaw, he'll be fine. Sancho will be fine. Dean Henderson, he's a good goalkeeper, but he doesn't play the way Ten Hag wants his keepers playing. Alex Tellez does suit the style, but he's the backup left-back. Juan Basaka doesn't. Nemanja Matic said the other day he's leaving. Alanga does, McTominay doesn't have the technical ability, but you might keep him around as a squad player. Hannibal Mousbury, there's talent there. There's certainly desire there, as we saw the other night, as he went around trying to kick Liverpool players uh, in the only show of heart by any Man United player on the night. And Shola Shortire is a very talented young player, but he's a young player. Martial could suit it, but he wants out. Pereira could suit it, but he wants out. He might not be good. He, he isn't good enough. Ahmed Diallo will suit it, but he's a kid. Palestri will suit it, he's a kid. Brandon Williams, potentially, but he's very young. Donny van der Beek, again, talented. No question he fits a Ten Hag team. He's good enough, but can you play him and Bruno together in a, in a three or a 4-2-3-1? Maybe. If you get the right defensive midfielder, maybe Donny can play in the pivot. James Garner, not good enough yet, not ready. Tunzebi, not good enough. Menji, too young to really know what he's going to be. Uh, Chong, I don't think is good enough to make it at United. So, like, you go through that whole squad, there's, there's far more not good enough or not suited than there is good enough and suited. So, there's huge work to do here at Manchester United. Huge work. And when we look at the best rebuild anyone's done in recent years in England, it is Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. But 
for Klopp, it was full season number four before they won the title. Full season number three before they got there to, to a title race. They finished a point behind City. He'd had most of the previous year as well. He just hadn't been able to buy anybody. But Klopp walked into a club with a strong foundation in terms of the structure of the club. He inherited Michael Edwards, Dave Fallows. He inherited a strong analytics department, a strong sports science department. He's made changes to the sports science department. He's made changes on the nutrition side and the physio side, et cetera, et cetera. But Liverpool were happy for him to make those changes. Liverpool were happy to spend that money. United haven't been happy to spend that money. They've invested a minimal amount in their infrastructure. The training ground is years and years out of date. And they don't have the same kind of analytics approach, sports science approach, as Liverpool do. So the alternative is to just go and recklessly spend. But they've done that. They've tried that, and it hasn't worked. Now, I saw a clip today of Rio Ferdinand and Michael Owen, the two boffins, with Jake Humphreys, who is probably furious that Frank Lampard wasn't considered for the job, discussing how Ten Hag built his team at Ajax. And I thought that was an interesting little piece that they did, because if you remember... Back in the 16-17 season, Ajax got to a Europa League final under Peter Bose. And that season, they had the likes of Davins and Sanchez, David Neres, David Klassen, Frankie de Jong, Hakim Zayic, Andre Onana, Kasper Dahlberg, Donny van de Beek, Matthias de Ligt. All of them playing fairly regular, if not as first choice. Some of them were first choice. So that was a pretty good team. That was the basis of something. Ten Hag took over the following January after Marcel Kaiser had a disastrous start. And he inherited most of that squad. There was a bit of money spent before he got there. There wasn't much spent when he arrived in December. But he inherited a really good squad. It wasn't like he inherited nothing. And when you look at the team that won the league in his first season, so the goalkeeper who played most was Andre Onana. Well, he inherited him. The defenders that played the most were Delict, Daily Blind, Tagliafico. He did sign him, I believe. No, he didn't. No, I'm wrong. Tagliafico was there. The one big side, oh, sorry, he did bring Daily Blind back from United, or he was there when they brought Daily Blind back. So Daily Blind and Dusan Tadic are the only really important arrivals in that first season. 
Now, they were excellent for Ajax that year, but the rest of the team that he allegedly built was already there. So it wasn't like a thing that they had to go and completely start over again. In the following season, then, obviously, they lose Frankie, they lose De Ligt, Kasper Dahlberg moves on. Um, they bring in Razvan Marin, who didn't work for them. Lisandro Martinez ha- has done well in recent years, but took him a while. Keith Perry, he didn't work. Quincy Proms, he didn't work. Edson Alvarez, it's only really this season and kind of the back end of last season that he's really done well there. Ryan Babble, that didn't really work. And again, you look at the players that were playing regularly, most of them were either there before he got there or came from their academy. I mean, their most frequent appearances, Onana, Tagliafico, Van de Beek, Zajic, Dest, Huntelaar, Veltman, these guys, David Neres, these guys were all there. Masrawi, they were all there before him. So I'm curious as to what it is that he's actually built. I mean, they've signed a lot of players under him, like Anthony, Mohamed Kudus, good players. But how much of an input is he actually having in any of that? Because Mark Overmars was lauded for his approach in the transfer market. I'll also point out that he's the guy that thought Sven Botman wasn't good enough to play. And Sven Botman, if he was at Man United now, would be their best centre-back. So I don't necessarily buy into the fact that he's built a great team at Ajax. He inherited a very good team, added some pieces, and made them a better team. That's not what he's walking into at United. He also walked into a club where I mean, when you think of Ajax, the first thing that comes to mind is probably their academy. You know, when we think of great Ajax players from the last, I don't know, 30 years, most of them came through their academy. Clarence Seedorf, Patrick Clivert, Edgar Davids, Frankie de Jong, Donny van de Beek, et cetera, et cetera. They all came from the academy. Frankie didn't come from the academy. They, they bought him for like a million quid. But the lick came from the academy. But that's the point. They all came from the academy. The majority of them were from Jurian Timber from the academy. Ryan Gravenberch from the academy. These aren't players that he had to go and find. They were players that were given to him. Now, United have a very good academy. But, I mean, in recent years, it's only Rashford and Greenwood that have made the grade. And McTominay as well, but... I mean, it's not like he's good enough and not like anyone thinks he's good enough to play for Manchester United on a regular basis. You know, the likes of Shola Shortire and Brandon Williams and players like that, James Garner, maybe they're good enough. Maybe they will be, but they're not yet. They'll take coaching. So he's not going to have as consistent a pipeline either. So you don't have Mark Overmars. First of all, you're not walking into as, as strong a group relative to the league you play in as he did at Ajax. Secondly, he doesn't have Mark Overmars and an outstanding recruitment department. And thirdly, their academy pipeline doesn't work the same way Ajax's did. 
and doesn't produce the same level of talent on a regular basis that Ajax's does. So it's not going to be an easy job. It's really not going to be an easy job. I think he can be successful if they are prepared to be patient with him. But the fact that the contract is three years with an option of a fourth, that's not a long-term commitment. I wouldn't imagine he's coming in on huge money. Like, he won't be earning anywhere close to the type of money that Guardiola or Klopp or Conte or Thomas Tuchel command. I'd say he's probably commanding about five million a year. So if United do sack him in 18 months, it's only an 18-month payout, seven and a half million. It's not a big commitment to the manager. It's not a statement commitment to him. It doesn't scream to me, this is a long-term plan. We are committed to this no matter what. No matter how badly the first two years go, we are committed to this man and his vision for Manchester United. It says to me he's got two years to make this work, and if he doesn't, he'll be out the door. Is he capable of making it work? Probably. Are United capable of making it work is a bigger question, though. Because I know both were past their best when they got them, but there can be no suggestion that Van Hal and Mourinho are not two of the greatest managers to ever walk the face of the earth. It didn't work with them. They weren't patient with them. They didn't give them time. They recruited poorly. They recruited players that didn't fit what the managers wanted. They didn't recruit the players the managers wanted in certain circumstances. Are they going to do it for Ten Hag? Do they have good enough people in place? I mean, every time I see the story about Aaron Wan-Bissaka and how United looked at a million right-backs, I, I think they think it makes them sound like they're really detail-orientated. It just makes them sound incompetent. It makes them sound completely incompetent. There are not any more than 20 right-backs in the world at any one time good enough to play for Manchester United. There just isn't. If you want to be a title-winning team, there are about 20 players in each, each individual position who are good enough for you at that one time. And you can have a couple who are the 20th best in said position. But to do that, you better have a couple who are you know top three or four best in other positions. Liverpool can carry one player who's not in the 50 best players in his position because they have four or five who are the number one in their position. United don't have anybody. Like, these are pointless, but let's just look United compared to the other top six, right? So let's say United versus City, a combined 11. It's Ederson, it's Walker, it's Diaz, it's Laporte, it's Canseo, it's Rodri, it's De Bruyne. It's Bernardo Silva or Gundogan, whichever one you want. It's Sterling, it's Foden, 
that's Mares or Bernardo Silva if he's not the midfielder. It's entirely, it's entirely Manchester City. I would say Bruno gets into the Liverpool team as the right-sided midfielder, and that's it. That's it. He's the only one. Nobody else gets close. Sancho's wonderfully gifted. He doesn't get it. Not over Mane and Diaz and Jota. Cristiano sure, sure as hell doesn't get in. I saw some suggestions of Rafa Ran pre-2018, maybe, not now. Chelsea, it's Mendy. It's James. Chilwell or Shaw is a toss-up. I'd go Chilwell because he offers more in the final third. Rudiger's one of the centre-backs. None of them are great options. Christensen is another. If you play a back four, it's Christensen and Rudiger. Or Christensen and Varane, maybe. Yeah, it might be Christensen and Varane. Midfield three. Bruno Kante Kovacic. Front three is Havertz, Mount, and maybe Sancho. So they get three into the Chelsea team. Tottenham, I take De Gea over Lloris. He's not at a great season. I'm taking Emerson over Juan Bissaka. I'm taking Regulon over Shaw because he offers more going forward. It's Romero and Varane. It's Bentoncourt. It's Bruno. And I know he's on loan, but it's probably Endembele. But if he's if it's not him, it's it's probably Heusberg. It's Kane, it's Son, it's Kuliseski. You can make your argument for Sancho, fine. At best, it's four. At best, it's four. What about Arsenal? I'll take De Gea over, over Ramsdale without question. But it's Tommy Asu, it's Varane, it's Gabriel, and it's Kieran Tierney. It's Thomas Partey, it's Bruno, and it's Odegaard. It's Saka, Martinelli, and Sancho. Four. So they get four into combined 11s with Arsenal and Tottenham, three with Chelsea, one with Liverpool, nobody with City. I'm not even sure they'd have the most players in uh, West Ham United combined 11. Because Sufel is in, Zuma is in, Rice and Suchek are in, Fornals is in, and Bowen's in. And as a striker, I'm taking Mikel Antonio over Cristiano as a nine. You could probably take Sancho over Bowen and put and take Antonio. So you go Sancho, Bruno, Fornals behind Antonio. Rice and Suchek is the double pivot. You take Varane, you take Shaw, but it's the other two. And so United get five into a West Ham combined 11. And again, I know a lot of these are subjective, but 
I mean, am I wrong? What about what about Leicester? It's De Gea. It's Pereira. Fafana. Varane. Probably Shaw, but I would rather have James Justin than Luke Shaw. But as a left back, I'll take Luke Shaw. So there's three United players there. But the midfield is Telemans and Ndidi and Bruno. So you've got four United players. And I'll put Madison and Barnes either side of Vardy as the front three. Barnes right, Vardy to the middle, Madison left. So I've got, again, four or five United players. Again, it's leans towards Leicester. Now, maybe I'm being overly harsh. If I am, I apologize. But like, I don't think Wan-Bissaka or Maguire get in any of the teams that I've listed. Maguire would get into the Maguire would get into the West Ham team over Craig Dawson. He doesn't get in any. He's a better defender than Ben White. Ben White's a better footballer than him. He might be better than Eric Dyer. To be fair, he might be better than Eric Dyer. But he's he's not better than Romero over Ram. So, I don't know. I, I just... I think there's so much work to do at United. I really do. Because the two teams you're chasing are, are City and Liverpool. And they're 23 and 22 points ahead of you. Both of them have a game in hand. So they're going to be 26 and 25 points ahead of you. That is that is brutal. Absolutely brutal. Like, look at some of the performances recently. Nil-nil at home with Watford. 4-1 away to City. Going out to a bad Atletico Madrid team. 1-1 draw with Leicester. You lost to Everton. You lost to Everton. They're awful. They've got the worst manager in the league. Scraped past Norwich with the help of Norwich throwing in a couple of goals and got whooped at Liverpool. Eric Ten Hag better have gotten his contract guaranteed. That's all I'll say. That's the last thing I'll say on that. We'll move on to some Premier League games from last night. We had four of them, and it was a bizarre night. Everton won, Leicester won. Harvey Barnes put put Leicester one up on five minutes. Richarlison decided to miss two of the biggest sitters you'll see all season. One with his right foot, one with his head. But he did pop up in the 92nd minute to scuff a deflected shot past Casper Schmeichel into the net and give Everton what could well be a valuable point. For Leicester, it's another late goal conceded, and Rodgers really has to be has to be questioned about this. How is his team so incapable of keeping concentration levels till the final whistle? Leicester stay ninth, Everton stay 17th, but do open the gap over Burnley now to four points. Newcastle won, Crystal Palace nil. Miguel Almiron with an absolute stunner of a goal. Bruno Gomeric plays a great pass into the channel. Almiron runs on, heads it forward, 
and it is a worldly finish, an absolute worldly finish. Now, Will Zaha should have equalised late on and then should have passed even later on to someone who was better positioned, but Newcastle were good value for their win. That is three straight wins for the tune. They are now 11th. They're level on points with Brighton, who are 10th. They were dead and buried in January, and they have been resurrected by Easter. There's probably some religious joke to make there. I can't be bothered. Uh, Fair play is all I can say. Fair play. They have been so much better the second half of the season. It's actually untrue. How long it lasts, I don't know. But, I mean, now they're three points clear of Crystal Palace, who I would say have had a much better season than Newcastle. But the table is what it is. Palace do have a game in hand. We'll we'll put that out there. Palace do have a game in hand. Manchester City 3, Brighton 0. City a little bit fortunate here. Didn't play particularly well. Brighton held out for 53 minutes. It took a massive deflection on a Riaz Mahrez shot to make it one. It took a massive deflection on a Phil Foden shot to make it two. But Bernardo Silva's third was an absolute peach uh, that left the keeper with no chance. City were by far the better team. They just didn't play particularly well. And until that Mahrez goal went in, they looked like a team that didn't really know what they were meant to do once they got the ball in front of goal. But they get their three points. They go back to the top of the table. Uh, For Brighton, their little mini run of two wins comes to an end and they stay 10th in the table. And then the most surprising result of last night, Chelsea 2, Arsenal 4. Now, Chelsea and the players should be ashamed of themselves for the performance they put in last night. This was some of the worst defending I've ever seen. Uh, the first ball is a first goal is a Nuno Tavares punt down the field that Christensen should deal with. But the ball takes like a bit of a dead bounce and he doesn't make good contact with it. And Ketia latches onto it and finishes well. Within four minutes, Chelsea are level. It is a very lucky goal from Timo Werner, cuts in off the left, shot takes deflection. Ramsdale is scrambling, doesn't get close to it. Emil Smith-Rowe made a two on 27 minutes. Again, there's some comedic defending in the build-up, but once it gets to Odegaard and he plays it to Smith-Rowe, it is stunning. The finish is perfect. It's a great goal. Um, But again, Chelsea equalised within five minutes. Cesar Aspilicueta getting on the end of a Mason Mount cross to tap home. Went in at halftime 2-2, and I thought there's no way Chelsea can play as badly in the second half. I was wrong. They were even worse. Uh, and Ketia made a three on 57 minutes. This is just absolute clown show stuff from the likes of Malang Sar. I, I have no idea what he was doing. No idea. And Ketia lost the ball. It ping-ponged off a couple of Chelsea players and just landed back at his feet. It's a very good finish. Bikayo Saka made it four on 92 minutes when, for some reason, Aspilicueta decided he needed to hug somebody in the box, grabs hold of, of Saka, hugs him and just kind of wrestles him to the ground and then tried to claim Saka was holding his arm. A strange one. Saka steps up, penalties, no problem. 
Big win for Ch- for Ch- for Arsenal. Big big win, and they are now level on points with Spurs. Spurs have an eight goal advantage. Spurs do still have the easier running. They do still have Arsenal to play at home. They are still the favourites for that spot. Both sides now three points ahead of United with a game in hand on United, but that game in hand is against each other. So unless it's a draw, it's not going to help both of them. Um, Chelsea were just diabolical. Absolutely diabolical last night. I couldn't get over how poor defensively they were. But the the most striking thing was just how poor Romelu Lukaku was. I mean, Jesus Lord wept. That is an absolute stinker of a performance. Um, he he just doesn't look like he wants to be there anymore. And if that's the case, it's time to move him on. Just get rid. Just get rid this summer. Find a, find a transfer firm and send him on his way because that was painful to watch. We've got one game tonight. It is Burnley at home to Southampton. I think we can class that as a can't lose for Burnley. Not necessarily a must win. But certainly it can't lose. You can't allow Everton to have that four-point gap. If they win, the gap is one point. Everton will have a game in hand, but Burnley will have a better goal difference than Everton have the tougher running. Went through this yesterday with Carl Matches, and he had Everton gaining eight points between now and the end of the season. Between, sorry, before yesterday's game, he had them taking eight points. But one of the th- three of the points he had was against Leicester last night. So that would bring them to six on the, the match at scale. And he had Burnley taking eight points. But he did have them losing at home to Newcastle on the final day, which I don't agree with. I think they'll beat Newcastle at home. So based on what would be the match at scale, uh, Burnley are staying up. If they don't, it's Carol Matchett's fault. Uh, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we have listeners' questions. I'll see you in a sec. Right. Welcome back. So it is listeners' questions day. So we're going to start with this one from AMK2889. If Potter leaves Brighton, could you see Sean Dyche go there? No, is the answer. I don't think I could see Dyche going to Brighton, to be honest. I don't think it would be a good cultural fit. Um, But Everton is the one I could see. If they decide to be smart this summer, regardless of staying up or going down, and they've been off Lampard, Sean Dyche should be the one that they appoint. Uh, Tiberius Sports Bowl, he's got a couple here. If you had to choose one in the summer and price wasn't a factor, Darwin Nunes or Kareem Adeyemi? I would go Darwin. I think he's further along in his development. I think he's more of a guaranteed goal threat next season, whereas Adeyemi could take a season or even two to fully adapt to the Premier League. So I would go Nunes. I also like the physicality and pace I get with him as opposed to just the pace and movement with Adeyemi. Um, Sorry for the doomsday scenario, but interested which you would choose. One of these must happen for next season and you must choose. Which are you taking? Salah goes to Chelsea. Lovren. (laughs) It's the one. Oh, God. Lovren returns to partner Virgil and Henderson must start every game. Or Brian. Brian, as we call him. uh, Must start every game. 
or Klopp is replaced by Gerrard, but the starting 11 is Alison Trent, Ibu, Virgil, Robbo, Fab, Thiago, new signing, Diaz, Mo, and Nunes. Uh, I'm absolutely taking the latter. I'll take the worst manager with the better team. No offence, Kloppo. I'm not putting up with another season at Lovren ever again. I, do, I don't care who else is there. I, I don't care. You could give me Lillian Turam at right back, Paolo Maldini at left back, and Lovren and Virgil in the middle, and I'm still not taking that. Fans are now realising how bad the new Champions League format is. Do you think UEFA will change it or stay stubborn in the reform? What could they do to find a balance between the two? Well, the new format is garbage. So what they should do to find balance is to take it and burn it. Um, I, I think UEFA will try. And I think if there's enough pushback from the fans, maybe there'll be something. But the clubs are in favour of it because it helps certain bigger clubs. It's going to help Manchester United, so they're going to be in favour of it. The clubs who are going to be in it, they don't care. It's a mess. It is a mess. People should have listened. The Super League wasn't that bad. Leicester might win the Europa Conference League and celebrate it like a great achievement, but people forget they were dumped out of the Europa League to get there, similar to Manchester United making the final last year. Do you think there could be a way to stop bigger clubs who underachieve and been rewarded? This says, yeah, just don't allow them in. I think this idea of, you know, you don't progress in the Champions League, so you drop into the Europa League, or you don't progress in the Europa League, so you drop, drop into the Conference League, I, I think it's nonsense. You, you haven't been successful in your competition. Home you go. Home you go. Your season in Europe should not continue. Like, if Liverpool were to lose to Villarreal in the semi-final of the Champions League, it's a competition in which they've been successful in this season, there'll be no drop-in to anything else for them. They'll just be done. So why are we rewarding teams for failing at the early stages when we're not rewarding teams who succeed in the early stages? We've seen differently different leagues seem to dominate Europe over certain periods. Right now, England's had its run after a number of years of Spain having it. Which league is best primed to go on a run in Europe? It is England. It is England. You've got, I would say, the two best teams in Europe, both in England. I think Chelsea are a team. Chelsea will depend on what happens with the new owners and what kind of approach they take. But they've got a really good manager and a great academy and a good squad. So it's not a massive overhaul for them to get themselves into the right sort of area to be a real challenger in Europe year after year. They did win it last year, of course. Spurs have Conte. They've got Kane. They've got Son. They've got Romero. They've got Benjancourt. They've got good players. They've got a great manager. They're, I think, going to have to be ambitious and back the manager. If they do that, Spurs can become a factor. Now, Conte's European record is patchy, but still. Um... And I mean, Arsenal and United, while they're non-factors at the minute, they're both massive clubs who, under real managers with real structures, could do very well. Arsenal have a great academy and a good foundation to build from. United have a good academy and loads of money. So if there was a structure in place for Ten Hag, you would say it's a, a job that you can turn around. If Arsenal had a real manager uh, and a proper recruitment policy 
you would say that added with the recruitment, the owners seem to be willing to spend a bit more money and the fact that there's already a bunch of good players there, you could turn that into something. I think it is England. I do. I think it is England. AMK2889 again. You recently talked about top three kick takers. How would you rate Nakamura's free kick ability? Also, do you feel that Celtic was the ceiling for Nakamura or could he have played at a higher level for a bigger club? He could have played at a higher level, but not for a bigger club. There's very few clubs bigger than Celtic. In England, I think there's only three. Liverpool, Manchester United and Arsenal. And even then, I think Arsenal, that could be questionable. Liverpool and United are. but uh, So he wouldn't have played for any of them. He could have played in the Premier League. He could have played for Southampton or West Ham, that kind of thing. Uh, sensational free kick taker. Genius passer of the ball. Um, deserves to be right in that upper echelon of free kick takers. No question. Uh, Steve P. On Harry Setti's recent rival recon, the guest talked about Unite, about their academy being very promising. Do you or Carol know much about how they're, who they have coming through and how it compares to ours? If so, do you think Ten Hag can blood some new players into that United team? I now again, you'd be you'd have to ask someone who who actually follows the academy day to day at United, but I don't see anybody, and I've I've never really watched maybe two of their under twenty three games and one or two of their under eighteen games this year, largely because I had nothing better to be doing. Um, but I didn't see anybody that sort of jumped out at me. Like Shola Short Shorthire looks looks a player, but he looks like he's a year away. Physically, um, I don't know. I like they do produce a lot of players, but I don't know that they're producing a lot of high level players. You know, they're producing players that can play in the championship and in the Premier League, but not necessarily players that you would want as first team starters for a team with Champions League ambitions. So I, I don't know. You, you really need to ask someone that follows United's Academy more closely. Rex Paracold 27. That's a good name. Questions for Thursday. Some rival fans often dismiss Liverpool's 18, 19 or 1920 teams because they only won the CL or the league as opposed to the treble or winning the league unbeaten. Do you think there would be any legitimate argument about this team being the best ever if they manage a quadruple? Also, can you put together a current best Premier League 20-man squad using each age from 17 to 36? I'll tell you what, that 17 to 36 one, I'll do one of the days next week. Uh, as for the other question, no, there's, there's, if this team wins a quadruple, there will be no questioning whether or not this is the best team English football has ever seen. It just will be. It just will be. It will be the best team English football has ever seen. However, that quadruple only happens if Naby Keita starts regularly between now and the end of the season. It does not happen if Brian starts every game because he's not good enough. Even in the 4-0 defeat, again, a 4-0 win over United, he stood out like a sore Thomas, not being anywhere close to the level of the others. So it's imperative that Naby starts the key games between here and the end of the season. They can probably win the rest of the league matches without him, but the FA Cup final and the three remaining Champions League games, he's got to start all of them. Um, 
me just make a note of this. 1736, 20 pound squad. I will do that on Tuesday. Right. Uh, Question for the pod, why, uh, YNWA Foodie, which three players do you think are the next generation of Thiago? Um, so the follow-up question is from James. What are your thoughts on Maxon's Kakaret? So that he's set to sign a new contract, do you think he's a player that could get a big move at some point? Yes, I do. And I think he is top of my list as somebody who is um, a, a Thiago replacement possibility I think he's right up there I think he's an outstanding player there's a lot there's a lot of hype at the minute around Vitinha um, of Porto he's having a good season there's no doubt he's well he's having a, a good run since probably November December time um, he's got little shades about him so maybe Maybe he could be one, but I, th- I, I think when I look at um, Kakaret, I, I see so much of what Thiago offers. Bruno Gomerish would have been another, but he, he's a bigger, more physical player. But from a profile point of view, I, I think he's got to be right up there. And... Slightly different type, but Ishmael Benassir of, of, of AC Milan, formerly of Arsenal, player Arsenal, are crying out for at the minute and let leave for buttons. Uh, he would be, those would be the three, Kakaret, Gomerish, and Benassir. Ramiz, what would Thiago's best 11 of teammates he's played would be? Um... Trent at right back. Philippe Lamb will play left back. No, David Alaba at left back. Virgil and Puyol at centre back. Allison in goal. You could no, you can go Manuel now, but I'll go Allison. I'll go Allison. Um, oh no, to be fair, let's let's go Nauer because he played there with him longer. So Nauer. Trent, Puyol, Virgil, Alaba. I assume we're not including Thiago. We're just making an 11 of teammates. So it's Busquets, it's Iniesta, and it's Xavi. It's Messi, Lewandowski. Messi behind Lewandowski and Salah. Tarsh and Thomas Muller. But that's what we'll go with. We'll go with like a diamondy midfield. Uh, Busquets deepest, Xavi and Iniesta, Messi is the tip, and then Salah and Lewandowski as um, as the front two with Alaba and Trent. That would be absolutely unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Nobody would ever, ever, ever beat you. They'd never be able to stop you. You'd have the ball 85% of the time. That would be ridiculous. Yeah, that's what we'll go with. 
Um, Fark 1977. Now that Wolves have a staggering 33 goals and Brighton have crept into the top half with 29 goals, how long, how likely is it that either squad is beating the Burnley team that made the top 10 with 36 goals and stopping the Clarets from popping the sparkling center? I, I don't know that Brighton will get top half, but if they do, I think they'll beat that record. I think they'll beat that record. I think they might only end up with about 24, uh, 34, 35 goals. Wolves will pass it. I'm fairly confident Wolves will pass it. If they don't, that is a shambles. They've got six games left. They play Burnley, City, Brighton, Chelsea, Norwich. They'll get it. Wolves will score three more goals in the remaining six games. Brighton, though, Brighton only have five games left. Uh, Southampton, Wolves, United, Leeds, West Ham. Yeah, Brighton Brighton will struggle to get it, but I I still, I don't know that they'll finish top half. I'd very much like it if they did, but maybe they will. Maybe they will. To be fair, there's no one else really screaming out at me that they're going to do it either. So Brighton could be our best bet. They could be our best bet for this. Uh, Isaac Gilding, if I remember correctly, in one of the 2020 lockdown pods uh, with Carl, you said about terrible transfer windows. I think you said you didn't want Everton. Relegators will be bad for the city of Liverpool footballing terms. Um, It would be, but I, I still think it'd be funny. Like, there's... There's two sides to this. You can either just look at it through, you know, rose-tinted Liverpool glasses, or red-tinted red Liverpool glasses as it is, and say it would be absolutely hilarious if Everton got relegated, especially if it was the same season as Liverpool potentially do something historic. It would be bad for the city of Liverpool if they went down and didn't come back up. They, You could get by for a year or two. But if they went down and it went catastrophically wrong and they ended up, say, dropping again... That would be bad for the city, but I still think it would be funny to see them go down. Um, da, 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 Adam GBN, given Mane's form and position change to mainly being a nine, does this change your opinion on the front, the front three going into next season? Of course, Mane and Firmino's contracts are up next summer. Um, I'm torn on this. Mane's been really good as a nine. His performance against United was outstanding. He is 30. He is definitely declined from where he was, but he is now reinventing himself as a different type of player. It all would come down to money. If I could get 65 million for Mane and turn him into Nkunku, who's six years younger and has the potential to basically replicate what Mane has been over the last five, six years, then I think I would do that because the wages will be lower and he's a younger player whose peak will have, will will go longer than what we'll get at a Mane. But at the same time, if I could be sure I'd get three great years at a Mane, I, I, I think I'd still lean towards selling Mane and getting in Kunku. I, I think I would. I think I would still lean towards that. Uh, Eddie Gibbs, what more? 
what month or year will Ten Hag leave or be sacked by Manchester United? Well, the first time he'll think about leaving will be the first game in which Darren Fletcher wanders down and just positions himself on the bench. Um, if he gets to summer number two, which will be the summer of 2024, and United are moving in the right direction, he could work long term. If he doesn't, I'll say he's gone by summer 25. If he gets there and things are still a bit stale, they're, you know, maybe they qualify for the Champions League one year and not the other. Maybe they're nowhere close to title contention and, you know, there's still a big malaise over the place. He, he'll struggle to see out the three years. But the first 12 months is so critical for him. He, he, like, he has so much work to do in terms of pairing that squad down and getting rid of so much of the dross that it really is vital that he hits the ground running. Alex Sapopo uh, was wondering if you could take a look at fringe players at Liverpool, such as Tacky and Ox, and give them a realistic destination this summer. Of course I can. Uh, Liverpool FC, let's get the squad list up. Right. Okay, so we'll just go by appearances. So I would say everybody, Alison, Virgil, Salah, Mane, Brian, Jota, Trent, Matip, uh, Fabinho, uh, Robbo, Thiago, Bobby, Naby, Costas, Ibu, Luis Diaz, Joe Gomez, Queeving, Kelleher, Harvey, Elliott, and then the kids, they're fine. Uh, they're the ones that will stay, so we'll go with everybody else. Um, Ox is he's a curious player because he doesn't really have a position. But he can play and do quite well in a multitude of positions. He's not good enough for City. He could be a wing-back backup for Chelsea. Uh, he could be a wing-back for Spurs if he wanted to. He could start there, but I don't think he will. Um, I would say... I would say keep an eye on Crystal Palace. With Conor Gallagher leaving, Ox might make sense for them as a Gallagher replacement. So that's where I would say for Ox. For Minamino... If I was advising him, it would be to seek a move back to the Bundesliga. But if he's to stay in the Premier League, I think Leeds is the best fit under Jesse Marsh. I think Jesse Marsh will want to revert to a box midfield. That's where Tacky's at his best. I think Leeds is the best fit for him. Um, for James Milner, Leeds on the bench. If he wants to start games, championship club. Divock, who knows, who cares? He's probably going to go to AC Milan by the sounds of things. And that's not a bad move for him, in fairness. You know, you can't really can't really, can't really argue with that. Uh, ben Davies currently out on loan. I think I'd like to see him stay at Sheffield United. I think he's done quite well there. Nat Phillips, stay where you are at Bournemouth. Same with Nico Williams. 
Sepp Vandenberg, I think, is ready for a step up to start in a top five league, but not the Premier League. I would say Borussia Mönchengladbach might be a good fit for him next season. Um, and that's kind of it, really, isn't it, in terms of fringe? There's not a whole lot of fringe players at Liverpool. Um, Nico Williams, stay at Fulham. Shea Ojo should be sold. Championship club. Ben Woodburn, probably a League One club. Um, but yeah, for Ox, I, I do think, I think, think Palace for Tacky, because they're the two you mentioned. I, I think, um, I think Leeds is probably the best fit for him. Uh, right, we have a couple more. Let me just grab these here. Uh, from Sports Lens, what Asian country do you think can go on to be the first World Cup winner? If we ca- if we count Australia who play in the Asian qualifiers, I think Australia could. Because I think the infrastructure is there, the size is there, the talent pool is there. It's just about convincing kids to play football rather than convincing them to play rugby league, rugby union, or AFL. Um, so they'd be an option. But if we're just counting Asian countries, it's got to be Japan or South Korea. In terms of development, they're much further along than the rest. I don't see it happening for any of the Middle Eastern countries in the foreseeable future, but they are at least putting huge amounts of money in. I watched that Gary Neville in Qatar uh, documentary recently, and that academy they've got there is absolutely world-class. Like That is maybe the best facility in world football. It's sensational. Um, but I think from a talent point of view, Japan and South Korea probably ahead of both and probably Japan if we're being fair probably ahead of South Korea um, how can Newcastle advance their projects this summer what signings would you recommend I'd keep Matt Target permanently he wouldn't have been my first choice I still think Jamal Lewis is a better left back than him but Target's done really well and the Jamal Lewis just on the out there so I would keep target permanently. I would probably just keep Lewis as a backup. Right back, Kraft has been really good, but Trippier is going to come back in. That is what it is. Um, for me, Shar and Dan Byrne are backups. They're not starters. So I'd be looking straight away for two central defenders. They've been linked with some hyper-aggressive types of centre-backs. I think that might be a little bit of a mistake. I think you've really got to take a measured approach here of incremental steps. So what players can incrementally improve us? Now, there's some rumours that Esri Konza could be available from Villa. Now, that would be immensely foolish by Villa. But if it is true, he is the first player I'd go for. I would go and I'd spend a substantial amount of money trying to get him. Then I'd look at a partner for him. Now, they were linked with Sven Botman for a while. Not the one for me. Go for someone more eerily dominant who's got a bit more pace. Maxence Lacroix is the one I would go for. I think that pairing is ideal for the Premier League and ideal for what Eddie Howe wants to do. I'm okay with Dubravka. I, I'm, I'm okay with their goalkeepers just being run back for another year. But if they did want to go for a new goalkeeper and maybe someone who can be a long-term number one, I'd probably look at the likes of, of Lunen at 
Real Madrid, apparently back up there. He's the Ukrainian kid. He's really good. He's a giant. He's got massive upside, great reflexes for such a big guy. I'd probably look at someone like him. I'm building my midfield around Gamerish. So I want to put I want to put legs around him so he's not having to do too much of the running. So I'd probably look at Yves Basuma. I think you get him in for a box-to-box role. And I'm fine with I'm really fine with Jolington if he's the other one, or Joe Willock as more of an attack-minded box-to-box player. If you want to upgrade, fine, but I wouldn't be against a Basuma Gamerish. Um, Jolington midfield three. I, I don't think it's that bad. So maximum is fine. You you need a nine. You need a wide forward who'll get you goals. Um, I, I Ivan Tony's been linked. I I do think they'd be hard pressed to do better. So Tony makes sense. And then. I mean, could you double dip at Brighton and maybe get Leandro Trossard and maybe he becomes more of a goal? Actually, you know where you go. You go to Villarreal, you buy Dan Juma. You go, say, maximum on the right, Tony through the middle, Dan Juma off the left. And in midfield, then, you play Basuma on the right to do the dog work that um, say, maximum won't do. Bruno in the middle. And then... Jolington or Willock on the left to combine with Danjuma because Danjuma as a creative player as well and all creating space and chances for runners from midfield that'll be that's where you'll be you'll be strong so do that then your defense will be all right your defense will be all right for a year you get you get Conzi you get Lacroix next summer then you go and you buy better fullbacks you go and you, you go and you upgrade on on Trippier and Matt Target, and um, they just become your backups. So you're looking, let's say, 40 million for Konza, 30 for Lacroix. I don't know what Dan Juma would cost. You're not going to have much change out of 200 million. But it's if you've got the money and you're willing to spend it, I think all five of those improve the team. If you can't get Konza, which you know, it is possible that you couldn't. Um, you kick the tires on Joe Gomez, but I don't think you'll. I don't think you'll get him. Maybe you could. I I I just go and try and get Konza. I would. I try and get Konza. I think for forty million, Villa might do business. I I genuinely do. I think they're a bit silly. Uh, how would you transfer Everton so they reach the heights? Of their former years. Um, that's one that myself and Carl Matchett have covered before. Uh, that's one that's going to take longer than I have today. So I'll do that on Tuesday as well. Um, that's, yeah, that's that's a big job. That's maybe breaking it down to the studs and starting over with a handful of the players that are there. Uh, but I will do that Tuesday along with the question from Rex about a 20-man squad, one, eight, one player age 17 to 36. Um, that'll do me for today. I'm just going to wrap up with the gossip because, you know, it's tradition, really. Real Madrid are confident of signing Kylian Mbappe and will go all out 
to sign the French forward after conceding that their other main target is heading to Manchester City. Uh, David Ornstein confirming the report that City have got a loose framework in place with Haaland. But again, these things can take changes, can, can take turns. Real Madrid are keen to bring Jude Bellingham to the Bernabeu. He should say no. Everton are monitoring Wolves winger Adama Traore. Oh, God, that's that would be a very Everton signing. Incoming boss Eric Tanahag will have 200 million to spend on signings with at least six first team players set to leave in the summer. 200 million is not going to go a long way at United. 200 million is not going to go a long way to fixing the problems that are there. And if they think they can spend their way out of it, it's just going to be more of the same crap. French forward Anthony Martial looks likely to return to United. We all, we all know that. Well done, Romano. Congrats on saying what has already been confirmed by both his agent and the manager of Sevilla. Paul Pogba's reps are in talks with Juve and Real Madrid. Nemanja Matic, the 33-year-old Serbian midfielder who said he will leave United in the summer, is open to joining Roma. United and Arsenal are interested in Christopher Nkunku. He's not joining a Europa League team, lads. Arsenal are targeting Marcel Sabitzer, but Atletico Madrid are also keen. He'd be a good signing for Arsenal, actually. Antonio Conte is set for talks with Daniel Levy to tell him the club needs at least six signings. Isn't it great that Con- that, the, that the newspapers know that before Daniel Levy does? There needs to be talks between Conte and Levy for him to let him know. Well, why does he need to have the talks? Now, you've just told him in the Telegraph because you've obviously heard it directly from Conte. So Daniel Levy can just read your column. He doesn't need to talk to Conte. Uh, Sam Johnson is keen to join Tottenham. That's from Football Insider, so probably garbage. Uh, Jed Spence, currently on loan at Nottingham Forest, is wanted by Tottenham. Tottenham will make Dejan Kulisevsky's deal permanent. We've all known that's going to happen. Uh, Portuguese winger Fabio Carvalho says Liverpool's recent interest in him has affected his performances. You wouldn't know it by watching him. Ivan Tony wants a new deal and pay rise at Brentford. I think what Ivan Tony wants is a uh, new club. Torino's defensive pair, Gleason Bremer and Wilfred Singo, are both targets for Fabio Paratici. Um, I mean, you put the two of them with Romero, I think you're asking for trouble. I do. I think you're asking for trouble. There's also not a left footer between them. Now, unless you're going to play single, maybe you play single as your wing back, but that would be, I think that would be ugly if he played wing back. Um, Leeds and Everton are lining up moves for Michi Batshuayi. Leeds would make a load of sense for him. A load of sense for him. Because they need another striker. And Bamford just this season, he's been so injury plagued. Michi's a good player. He's had some bad loans, but he is a good player. Um, he did well at Palace the first time, actually, on loan. West Ham are interested in Noah Lang, but face interest from, of competition with Macy Milan. Milan have long been linked with him. And last one then, Birmingham told Wolves they want to sign Montenegro keeper Matthias Sarkic on a permanent deal after his impressive loan. Well, best of luck to him. Best of luck to Mr. Sarkic. And that is me for today, folks. I will see you all tomorrow. Good luck and mind yourselves.
Sports Social Podcast Network.